This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So as I uh, said earlier, we're in our second week in this new series on the Psalter, and we've entitled uh, this series, uh, Worship in uh, Every Circumstance, because let's just face it, life is filled with, quote, circumstances, Uh, the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, physical circumstances, social circumstances, emotional circumstances, uh, psychological circumstances, most importantly, spiritual uh, circumstances. Uh, And so Psalms is the worship of God in every circumstance. Uh, This week, uh, some lost jobs and some landed jobs. Uh, This month, some gained family and for some, a family member is now gone. In my life, I've experienced what it's like to not know where the next day's meal is gonna come from. And I've known seasons of abundance where I I haven't given a thought uh, to the next month's food, uh, drink, or housing. This week, some of us have been surprised by the character that God has produced in us. And some some of us have been shocked by the failure of character in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, Some this week have experienced the support uh, and the grace and the blessing that comes through community. And some have endured a betrayal and hatred and deep pain. Because life is filled with ups and downs, God has given us the Psalter, the the collection of 150 Psalms. And he's given it to us as a songbook. And it teaches us how to worship God. And it brings us to the worship of God, no matter what is happening in our life. I said uh, this statement last week that the 150 Psalms were written over a thousand year period uh, by God, uh, for his people, through his people, as his people experienced life. And as you read through the 150 Psalms, you're going to notice that there are various genres or categories of Psalms. And each of these categories is going to show us uh, the best way to worship God in a certain circumstance of life. I I like to think of it uh, this way. In this series, we're gonna try and provide for you one or two psalms uh, from each genre that you can add to your playlist. uh, And and on your playlist, you, you can know which psalm to play and to learn from and to sing no matter what you're going through. And so for this week, our text is Psalm 23. I'm gonna guess that this is the most familiar text in the Old Testament. I think it's probably the most memorized chapter in all of the Bible. And I think it rivals John 3.16 as being uh, the most famous and the most well-loved in the hearts of believers. In terms of genre, in terms of those buckets or those categories, Psalm 23 is the, is the classic psalm of confidence. 
And so while a lot of Psalms will have lines in them expressing confidence in God's goodness and God's power, uh, Psalm 23 is in this genre of confidence and, and the entire Psalm is given over to the expression of trust. Uh, Psalms of confidence are very rare in that they rarely ask anything of God. They're just there to declare their confidence in him and to tell anyone about him who will listen. So when you think about where to apply this genre to the circumstances of your life, uh, the Psalms of confidence, Psalm 23 is best applied to its best sung at times where the uncertainty of the future is overwhelmingly obvious or where our absolute inability to control the future becomes blatantly clear. The future is never obvious and our ability to control the future, we we never have the ability to control the future, but there are times in life where this becomes uh, blatantly clear right in front of our eyes. And this is when the Psalter invites us to enter into worship through Psalms of confidence. If you look, uh, if you look at verse one, it's in this dependent and humble place uh, that David's confidence is generally and, and summarily expressed. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd or, or my shepherd is the Lord or even the Lord, uh, the Lord is shepherding me. I shall not want, I shall not lack, I shall not need. Now, just thinking about what we just said about the ups and downs of life, this, this really confident assertion uh, in verse one could sound absurd and out of touch. It could sound fantastic and far-fetched. But, but, uh, but before we dismiss the psalm out of hand, I want us to look at all that David means when he says, I shall not want. I want to unpack it this way. Uh, the Lord as shepherd, uh, the shepherd's leading through life and death, and the shepherd's life and death. The Lord as shepherd, exploring the metaphor that is in the Bible, uh, the shepherd's leading through life and death, and then the shepherd's life and death. So first, uh, the Lord as shepherd. So from Genesis uh, to Revelation, the metaphor of shepherd is frequently used uh, for God in the Bible. And and I wanna make sure that in our mind's eye, we see the same picture of a shepherd uh, that the original audience would have seen. So first, we, we are correct in our understanding of this metaphor uh, when we see the shepherd as, as a guide and as a provider, as one uh, who leads to sustenance. But, but second, uh, our, our mental images, our preconceived notions of God as shepherd, uh, I think in some ways have to be challenged and adjusted and, and expanded. Uh, we hear that, uh, that God is our shepherd, and, and we tend to think of this mild-mannered man with, with a really well-groomed beard, Uh, holding this cute uh, little lamb. Or maybe this man resting under a tree while a bunch of sheep are just lying down on the ground uh, sleeping. Maybe we hear a shepherd and and we in our culture and context, because we're not familiar with it in the ancient Near East, maybe uh, we see a man walking through a grassy field, holding a staff, flowers all around. And there's a bunch of sheep just nipping at his hill and just dying to do whatever he says and go wherever he goes. I mean, we kind of think of, 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 of sheep like, like puppies, maybe. And, and we kind of think of a shepherd like, like a preschool teacher who has in his bag some graham crackers and some orange juice, and the sheep are just following him around waiting for him to get it out. In, in reality, the original audience would have never thought of a shepherd as soft and genteel, and they would have been very offended that the Bible continued to call them sheep. Sheep are known to be dumb and stubborn. Sheep will become utterly convinced that they have to go somewhere, they have to do something. 
The shepherd will know what the sheep wants uh, and the shepherd will know uh, what the sheep believes they need and the shepherd will know that that's not ultimately good for the sheep and in fact hurt the sheep. And so the shepherd's job is a day long of providing for the sheep what they actually need all the while keeping the sheep from doing what the sheep want which could hurt them or worse. The reality about sheep is hinted at or assumed in verse two. It says the sheep are made or forced to lie down in the middle of a good thing. Telling us that sheep don't always know a good thing when they see it. We know that sheep will not lie down even when exhausted. And sometimes the shepherd will force them to lie down and they will fight him to get back up. The word for lead in verse two and verse three is the word for a compelling leadership. Uh, for example, in verse two, either the sheep will try to get water uh, from a dangerous place or the sheep will not try to get water at all. And so the shepherd compels them or takes them to the provision they need. That's one preconceived notion that we have about sheep that we need to fix in our mind's eye to move forward. But, but another is a preconceived notion about the shepherd. Shepherds in general were not soft, genteel, and weak. They, they were rugged and strong and brave. You need to take the picture of Mr. Rogers out of your mind and put Clint Eastwood in your mind. The shepherd's role, as a matter of fact, was the guide and the provider. But more importantly, he was the disciplinarian and the defender. Look at verse four. Notice how verse four speaks of these two tools that are needed by the shepherd, the staff and the rod. The staff was a long uh, walking stick with a hook at the end whereby the shepherd could uh, knock fruit off of trees. The shepherd could support themselves in a long walk across a desert looking for grass and the shepherd could gently or not so gently move the sheep along where they needed to go. Uh, the shepherd would use the crook or the hook at the end uh, of, of his staff as a means by which he can scoop up, literally scoop up the high quarters of a sheep that doesn't want to obey. That's why it's bent on the end. It's not to provide a handle. It's to grab a hold of the sheep. Uh, secondly, the shepherd wore in his belt a, a rod. The best uh, analogy I can come up with is a policeman in riot gear holding a billy club. The shepherd would frequently take the sheep into dangerous places looking for food and water. Uh, shepherds shepherded sheep in the wilderness because the people didn't want to live there. And so the, the shepherd would have to go and find grass and find water. But the problem is that other animals were there, wild animals were there, and they wanted the water and they wanted the grass and they ultimately wanted the sheep. And so the shepherd would use his staff on the sheep, but his rod on the wolf. We, we don't have in our mind's eye what the original audience saw when we hear shepherd until we remember the story of David and Goliath. David was a shepherd. He wrote this psalm. He knows what he's talking about. He offers to fight Goliath for the people of Israel and everybody says, you're crazy. What does he say in response? This giant, this uncircumcised Philistine is nothing compared to the lions and the bears I've struck with the rod in defending the sheep back home. And David is saying, regardless of what the future holds, even if it's scary and dark, bloody and confusing, if Yahweh is your shepherd, you will not lack. But remember, you're the sheep. By metaphorical definition, you don't get to decide what it means to lack and you don't get to decide what you need in the highs and lows of life. That's the shepherd's job. But you won't lack according to his calculation, according to his wisdom, according to his plan. Now, 
I want to transition to the second point, telling a few stories from my life and ministry. All right? Almost a decade ago, I met an older, uh, older widow, and she, she was living in very difficult circumstances. Uh, she was a woman whose uh, cupboard was almost always bare, and she frequently uh, missed uh, meals for lack of food. But, but even still, in this context of scarcity and uncertainty, uh, she always had about her this intense calm and what I would call just a deep joy, a deep abiding joy. And so as a young pastor, I inquired about this reality in her heart and life. And I asked her, in in essence, how do you remain so peaceful? And she told me that her daily prayer, not her only prayer, but certainly her daily prayer was this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then verse two, for her in the King James, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And she told me of the confidence God had built into her as time and again, the shepherd met her need for food and for drink and for shelter. Uh, Several years ago, my grandfather was dying uh, from the incurable uh, ALS, from Lou Gehrig's disease. And you can guess uh, the portion of scripture that he read and that he recited and that he prayed aloud and that was always open on the nightstand for anyone to read to him who wanted to. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then in his prayers, verse four in the King James. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I was there two decades ago when my best friend's mother died after a fierce battle with cancer. And just before dying, even though she was not awake, you could just see the pain and the fear in her body and on her face. And for hours, it felt the family and friends sang song after song, hymn after hymn. At the end, we sang together the lyrics of Psalm 23 to a tune I had never heard before and I have never heard since. And I just wonder if it was a family song. And as Psalm 23 was sung, her body ceased from shaking. Her face became calm. Her lips smiled. And she even tried to mouth along uh, to the words, all the while never waking up. And when the psalm had been sung, she died. Uh, The family embraced, the family wept. But in a few moments, uh, the father rallied the troops again and said, let's sing again. And he said, let's sing Psalm 23. Why? Because they had just sung their wife and mother through the valley of the shadow of death. And now they were going to sing to one another that in fact, the Lord Jesus had walked with her through the valley and she was now with him in paradise. Which is right? Who's right? Who sang and employed this psalm of confidence at the right circumstance of life? Was it my friend needing physical sustenance in this life? Was it my grandfather needing courage uh, as the the paralysis of his limbs and the light grew dim? Was it my my friend's family singing to their wife and to their mother, encouraging her through the, 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 the valley of the shadow of death? Was it my friend's family telling themselves that their wife and their mother was in paradise? Which one is it? It's all of them. This is the point of Psalm 23. It's a psalm of confidence. No matter where you are, no matter what you face, if Yahweh is shepherding you, you shall not lack. You shall not need. 
you shall not want. I want to walk through the text of Psalm 23. If you have your worship folder insert, I want to look at this, the second point, the shepherd's leading through life and death. Okay. If you have the worship folder insert out, let me help us get our bearings on the entire Psalm. I want to consider the structure of the whole. Uh, Verse one, as we've said, serves as an introduction. Uh, David states generally that the Lord leads him and that the Lord provides for him. Verses two and three are going to speak to the shepherds leading through and provision in this life. Verses four and five are going to speak to the shepherds leading through death. Verse four and the provision in the age to come. Verse five. Verse six is going to serve as a summary of the whole. If you look at it, the first half of verse six uh, um, uh, summarizes our experience uh, of the shepherd all the days of this life. And the second half of verse six speaks to our experience in the realm of eternity. So let's start by looking at verse two. If you consider verse two in the context of the whole Psalm, it teaches this, pay close attention. Verse two teaches us that the shepherd will provide food and drink as long as he wants us alive. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures, present tense, he leads me beside still waters. If we read verse two to mean that we will always have food and drink and we'll always have physical health, we've missed the point of the whole Psalm, which is this. We will have food and drink as long as the shepherd has us in this life. Think about my elderly friend who lived in scarcity. She once said to me that the Lord had provided for every one of her needs and I pushed back on her and I said in unbelief, you have missed so many meals and so many opportunities in your life. How can it possibly be that the Lord has met every one of your needs? And she just looked at me and simply said, I'm still alive, aren't I? Then I've had all that I need. It doesn't mean she lived optimally. It doesn't mean that those of us with surplus in her gospel community weren't sinning against her when we lived lavishly and she didn't have what she needed. It it just means that she was submitting to Psalm 23 and she knew that the shepherd would give her the food and the drink that she needed as long as she was in this life. She's actually the first person that taught me from Paul in Philippians that as soon as your chores are done, you get to go home and God will feed you while you still have chores. Listen to this as we move towards verses four and five. This is important. It's not so much that you die when God stops providing for you physically, but you die when God is ready to lead you through death, verse four, and verse five, when God is ready to provide for you in a whole new way on a whole new level. Listen to verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or through the valley of the darkness of death, that's a metaphor for dying and Hades, uh, in the Old Testament and the New. Verse four, verse four doesn't say, even though I walk really close to death, it says, even though I walk through the darkness of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil one. For since because you are with me. David is saying the Lord doesn't abandon his sheep in death. He stays with them all the way through. Keep reading. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And David is saying that we can face death itself with confidence. That's the opposite of fear, verse 4. And he says that we can be comforted, consoled, made less anxious by remembering that the shepherd will be with us and he will have with him his rod and his staff. So he will guide us through the darkness, even pick us up by the hind quarters when we don't know where we're going. And when going through the shadow of death, the vicious enemy will attack. You can count on it. And, And David is saying he will keep him at bay. By the rod of the shepherd, we will traverse through the darkness of death and not be devoured by the enemy. But look at verse 5. Again, it's not as though we die in this life, uh, that when we die, God has failed to provide, but that God is ready to provide on a whole new way, on a whole new level. If you keep in mind that that verse 6, the end of verse 6 is telling us uh, what it tells us about verses uh, 3 and 4, I'm sorry, 4 and 5, you can know that verse 5 is a description of some portion of paradise, some portion of heaven, something in the new heavens and the new earth. And David is saying that at death, God takes you through death into a whole new way and a whole new level. Just think about the psalm. At the beginning, David is a sheep. In verse 5, he's in the family of the king. David ate ate grass at the beginning of the psalm, and now he's at a delightful smorgasbord. The enemies that were cloaked in darkness at the beginning are now subdued and obvious to all. David speaks of festivity and honor uh, when he speaks of uh, uh, having oil uh, poured on his head. The the last phrase, uh, verse 5, reads literally, my cup is satisfaction. Not that the cup is satisfied or that the cup is overflowing, but that the cup brings an overflow of satisfaction. He's talking about paradise. Who has the right to pray and believe Psalm 23 at their circumstance in life? My elderly friend, my grandfather, my best friend's mom, my best friend's family. But there's more. Kind of feel like an infomercial at this point. But wait, there's more. Before you send your money, There's another provision. There's another guidance the shepherd gives. I I skipped over it altogether. It's verse three. Look at verse three. It's in that portion of the psalm that's about God's guidance and God's provision in this life. But it's not physical. Look at it. He restores. He turns back. He returns my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, right living for his namesake. And David is telling us that not only do we have a shepherd who can provide what we need physically in this life, and not only do we have a shepherd that can lead us through dying, we also have a shepherd who can restore our soul, who can lead us in paths of righteousness, who can decrease in us the love of evil and increase in us the love of good. We don't just pray Psalm 23 when we're hungry or when we're facing death or when a loved one has died. We pray Psalm 23 when we're facing spiritual temptation and when we need confidence. Some of you know that my story includes slavery to and significant deliverance from certain addictions, uh, certain sins that I've chosen uh, that are easily entered into and committed when alone. And also, many of you know that I travel and that I stay in hotels a good bit at this point in my life and that God has blessed me with this opportunity to love on and to train and to encourage church planters behind uh, us in the planting process. And when, when I travel, I give friends and family prayer requests 
for that time. I request uh, that they pray for my family, that God wouldn't just protect them, but that he would cause them to flourish while I'm gone. I have them pray for safe travels. I have them pray for effectiveness in ministry, but I also get a select few to pray Psalm 23.3 for me. And I, and I would say that while I'm traveling, this psalm, this, this, this verse is on uh, the tip of my tongue being prayed by me more than any other prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then verse three, even for me, usually in the King James, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There are times where I'll be so, uh, so facing temptation when I fall asleep that I'll be reciting the prayer over and over and I will wake up still reciting the prayer. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And in the prayer, I'm confessing I'm a dumb and stubborn sheep. I'm confessing I'm gonna want things that will hurt me and hurt others. And I'm believing that God can, by his spirit, lead me in paths of righteousness. In the prayer, I'm believing that there is an enemy who wants to devour me and who wants to dishonor Jesus. And I'm saying to Jesus, crush him. Crush him with your rod for your glory. Whether it's lack of food or an incurable disease or the death of a loved one or temptation. Psalm 23 is our psalm of confidence. It is to be played in our earbuds anytime we look at the future and we're uncertain as to what's going to happen. And when we're afraid, we say, we do not lack. Yahweh is shepherding me. Everything will be provided. Now, I want to conclude the sermon with some very specific thoughts about Jesus. Point three, the life and death of the shepherd. While 3,000 years ago on one level, David wrote this psalm about God in a more general way in his shepherding of his people, we now at this point in history understand that God ultimately wrote this psalm about Jesus, okay? At least four times in the New Testament, four that I could think of this morning as I was just considering this, at least four times in the New Testament, Jesus is said to be our shepherd. He is the fulfillment of this pervasive metaphor that runs through the Old Testament, Revelation 7, he's the lamb who also is the shepherd. Hebrews 13, he's the great shepherd. 1 Peter 5, he's the chief shepherd. John 10, our call to worship, uh, he's the good shepherd. And what I found interesting as I meditated on those four passages this morning is that all four of them focus in on the sufferings and the death of Jesus. And it was interesting to me because in David's mind and in David's psalm, the shepherd is this fierce warrior who does not die, but bravely delivers and defends the sheep. In David's psalm, the shepherd lives. But in the New Testament, as this theme develops and as it is fulfilled in Christ, the shepherd doesn't just live, but he also dies. He delivers and defends, and then he lays down his life. The question is why? Because our chief problem was and is not that we're stubborn and stupid. It was and is not that the devil wants to attack us in death. It is this. It's the wrath of God for rebellious sinners. We're not ultimately dumb sheep. We're willful humans. And Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Because in Revelation 7, he is the lamb who is also the shepherd And the lamb appears as one who has been slain. 
And so God hints at this in in David's psalm in verse 6. Look back there with me now. Remember that this, this is a summary of the whole psalm. David is wrapping it up and he's summarizing what he said in verse 1 with just a little bit of detail, but not as much detail as in the middle. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Goodness and mercy are two very common attributes uh, given about God in the Psalter. In fact, uh, uh, mercy is the most often used word for God in the Psalter, but 99% of the time it's steadfast love. We looked at it last week. It's grace. It's God's name revealed to his people in Exodus when they'd been so disobedient and so rebellious. And he says, I'm slow to anger and I'm patient and I'm loving and I'm kind and I'm gracious. And through personification, David is saying, surely God in goodness and in steadfast love and in grace, he will not just follow behind me. Follow is a really bad translation. This word is the word for a vigorous chase, pursuit, and catch. It's not like God is dwaddling behind us, but David says he's going to chase me down in goodness and grace all the days of my life. God will not chase you down in judgment because the good shepherd was judged in your place. God will not chase you down with his wrath because the wrath is satisfied with the great shepherd who lays down his life. When you finally meet death, you will meet a shadow because Jesus was crushed by the reality itself in your place, on your behalf. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the pastor of 10th Pres in Philly in, I believe, the early to mid-1900s, Philly being Philadelphia, sorry. And he was uh, driving his children uh, to his, uh, his bride and his, uh, he was driving his children to his bride and to their mother's funeral. And he was going very slow and feeling very lethargic and a tractor trailer uh, sped past him on the left and an idea popped into his head. And so he sped up and he stayed behind that semi-truck, that tractor trailer. And he said to his daughter sitting in the front, would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And she said, the shadow. Barnhouse replied, the shadow of death hit your mom because the truck of death crushed your savior. Let's pray. With Jesus shepherding us, we will never lack. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your profound and incredible love. We thank you for how even when we're grumpy and discontent, and even when we moan and cry about wanting this or that, you still chase us down with grace and mercy and goodness and steadfast love. Jesus, we thank you that you lived such a beautiful life and then you died this horrific death of the cross on our behalf. And in you, we have everything we need. You will give us food as long as we need it. You will make us more human until we die. When we die, you will take us into the presence of the Father. He will wipe away every tear from our eye and we'll be there forever. You'll bring your new heavens and your new earth and we will enjoy creation as you meant it to be, but we ruined and you redeemed. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this psalm of confidence. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring this psalm to our hearts and to our lips as we face the various realities of life that will make us scared and that will cause us anxiety. Would you place this psalm into our hearts and into our minds? Would you lead us in worship? In your name we pray, Jesus.